Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project Season 6, Episode 1, and welcome back. It's been quite a while, and there are a lot of things to talk about, so we're just going to sort of dive straight into it, starting with uh, talking about the podcast, this very show. This is a podcast about this podcast. The The whole show won't be that, but just this first part is about this podcast, because this has been, so the, the break between season five and six is the longest break that I've ever taken since starting this podcast, which last month in January was the three-year anniversary. So I'm pretty proud of that. Three years and a hundred and over a hundred episodes. I believe this is 106 in the series, even though it's 601 in the season side of things. That's pretty awesome. And uh, I haven't, I've taken breaks in between all of the seasons, but I haven't taken I guess it was like a six-week break, like over a month, basically all the holidays plus the month of January. And uh, it was uh, really nice. (laughs) Not because I don't enjoy doing the podcast, but it was nice to to be able to like have one less thing that I needed to take care of and allowed me to kind of get ahead in other areas. And more importantly, it allowed me to sort of like rethink of ideas and plan out the next season of the podcast in a way that I'm really excited about. And I don't feel like I'm just trying to keep up with. So I'm super excited about that. And one of the things in regards to that is uh, sort of a bit of a change, nothing major, but uh, for the past five seasons, I have done 21 episode seasons, which is an entirely arbitrary number. When I very, like the, when I first started this podcast, which I, I, uh, I've had a few messages of people saying like, oh, since there's not any new episodes right now, I'm going back and listening to everything from the beginning. And I'm like, oh my God, if you, st- if you still want to listen after that, great. I mean, I- I'm those episodes mean a lot to me, but I don't know if I, w- I could go back and listen to them. Uh, but anyway, uh, I-, I started this and it was, there was so much like I had wanted to do a podcast for so long and there were just so much, you know, thoughts and so many things I wanted to cover. And it had been like building up for so long that it was it was so it was like therapy. Like every week when I got to do a podcast episode, it was it, it was just like ah, like this this stuff that had just been building up in my mind. Like finally had an outlet. And after about twenty one episodes, which is a lot, like twenty one weeks is a long time. I, I hit the point where I was kind of like ah, I think I, I think I got all that out of my system. Now what? And so that's when I decided, oh, let's take a break for a couple weeks and then come back with season two. And I think in my mind, I've tried to like have themes like season one was very personal. Season two was more about like the creative side of things. And um, I guess even you could say like it was almost like me figuring out the ways to to turn the creative stuff I was doing into a business of sorts and, you know, how to be a little more strategic with that. And, you know, like season three really kind of dove into that a little more. Season four was, it ended up documenting the transition from working to, from being a teacher to being a full-time content creator, which I still don't know how I feel about that term. 
and uh, and now we're in season six. And those themes have been very, very loose. Like you, you might not even be aware of them, but they're just on my mind as I'm like planning out episodes and coming up with topics and stuff. Uh, and every because that first season was 21 episodes, and that felt like a good, it felt like an old school TV show number of seasons or number of episodes. I just liked it, so I just kept doing 21 episode seasons. And uh, the thing is, that is a lot. <laughs> and uh, it's I've noticed that sometimes you know when it's like episode 12, and I'm like, what do I do for nine more weeks? Uh, it's a lot. So for now at least season six i'm gonna do 10 episode runs so we did five seasons of 21 episodes and now we're gonna do a season of 10 episodes see how i feel about that and then uh if i want to keep doing 10 or go back a 10 just feels manageable to me it's a nice like round number it's i don't know if 10 is technically a round number not a math guy but it's a nice you know solid number it's not too many it's not too little and uh i i think it's enough to be excited about things without getting tired of it and in planning, so even though I have been recording episodes, like planning out and structuring things, wrapping my head around a 10-episode season is is way easier than a 21-episode season because it's, I can just sort of see like how things can connect and, you know, this topic would be good here, following this topic, switch these around, like add some flexibility here. It's much easier than, than you know, 21 episodes feels, it's almost like unwieldy if you're trying to make it coherent in a way. So we're going to do 10 episodes for season six, and then I'll take a, you know, a couple weeks off, and then we'll come back for season seven. So that's really the biggest change. Uh, nothing in terms of like the episode of the show or, or anything other than I'm sponsored by seven mattress companies now. No, I'm not really sponsored by any mattress companies. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so that's, that's that. The other thing that I wanted to talk about podcast related are video versions of the podcast because that is something that I started doing I think in season four started doing some video versions and sharing those with uh, people on Patreon and YouTube channel memberships which if you do want to support the show that's probably the best way to do it uh, either way is fine like you can join if you go to my YouTube channel there's a join button you can join there if you go to Patreon well I think there's a link there's a link in the description for Patreon or you can go to patreon.com slash Tom Buck and there's Things, they're, they're exactly the same. So there's no like differences or different benefits or anything. It's all the same. Um, but the main thing is like video versions. I'll do video updates sometimes or I'll do like members only live streams and stuff uh, from time to time, which is fun. And there's a Discord server, which is cool too. Uh, but there's video versions of podcasts. And that is, that's been really fun. Like I've always been sort of conflicted about uh, how I feel about video podcasts because I think they're great. You know, if, if all things are equal and you can have a video version or not, I think the video version is awesome. But obviously adding the element of video to a podcast is is huge. Like it's it's a it's a big thing to add. And sometimes I kind of wonder if the juice is worth the squeeze because it's it's a it's a lot of extra work, especially if it's for in my case, it's not something that's public. It's something that a very small number of people we'll see because not even everyone who supports the channel and stuff or supports the podcast, you know, they're not necessarily interested in the video versions. And a lot of people watch the video versions that they put it on, they just listen to it and glance over from time to time, which is what I do too, when I watch video podcasts. And that's totally fine. And I have a lot of fun actually producing the video versions using Ecamm. It's not a crazy workflow. But it's it's definitely a lot more work than doing the audio only version. And uh, so I've decided, I think I found a nice middle ground, which is I'm not going to do video versions for every single episode, 
but I'll do video versions when there's an episode that where it's enhanced by having a video version. Like today, it might be kind of cool if I mentioned something, I could hold it up and show you. <laughs> but for the most part, today's episode is like, it's perfect as an audio version. But sometimes like last season, I talked about retro cameras, and I was showing all these old cameras, and I was showing footage that was filmed by all these old cameras and stuff. And it's like, seeing that or being able to see that is really cool. So some things are very visual, and they lend themselves to a visual element in a big way. So I'll do video versions for those. And then uh, the other ones, I'll do audio only versions. So it'll probably based on like the outline I have for the season, it'll probably be like half the episodes have video versions. Uh, and the other half don't. So if you're if you're kind of wondering, what's up with video versions or where that is, that's kind of where I'm at for now. And to see how that goes. But that seems like a lot more manageable for me, because even though recording it isn't super difficult, because I just use Ecamm and I can have everything automated, like camera angles switching and stuff, there's still the setup and the teardown, which is actually a lot. And then there's also just the uploading process and it ends up needing to be uploaded to two channels and processed and posted. It's, you know, there's a lot of like admin work that just takes a lot of time. And if it's something that's not really enhanced by having a video version, it's like, well, this could all just be the audio version, which is so much simpler. So that's that's a big thing. One of the things that we're going to go into today is uh, like simplifying workflow and simplifying things because I've gotten crazy with that lately and I'm super excited about it. And if, you know, if you're someone that I've been talking to or um, you've been checking out like social media and stuff, I've shared some of the things that I've done. So anyway, that's podcast news. Uh, what else? The podcast new courses are still up and open for enrollment. Podcaster idea book, podcaster playbook links, of course, for all that stuff. Links, of course, for the courses are in the description. All right, let's jump into some things that I need to update about because I wrapped up season five and then a whole bunch of workflow things, camera related things changed. And then a whole bunch of camera news happened. And I, it's all, there's so many things that could have been like their own weekly episode. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. By the way, if you want to know which microphone I'm using today, I am back on the Earthworks Icon Pro running into the Rodecaster Pro because I am a pro. <laughs> Just kidding. The, the, and I have a MacBook Pro. Anyway, I miss doing podcasts. But anyway, this is the Earthworks Icon. I love this mic and it has the windscreen from the Ethos on it. So it has almost like an SM7B style windscreen which is, uh, I think it works really, really great. I actually like the way it looks better without it because when it has its standard windscreen, it's this really cool metal, shiny aluminum. It'd be cool if this were a video version, I could show you that. <laughs> uh, but when it has this, it's sort of just the big black foam puffy thing. But this really, really does help with plosives and stuff. So it makes the microphone so easy to use. And I really think this is a an awesome sounding microphone. So that's what you're hearing today. And if you want to know more about it, again, links in the description, the podcast column, show notes, whatever. Links in the thing. Uh, all right, talking about cameras. So <laughs> the last episode of, uh, the last episode I did was all about like, oh, the Sony Switch, and I really like Sony, and you know, how do I feel about Canon and all this stuff? Since then, I have sold one of my Canon cameras and gotten two new Sony cameras, and basically, uh, a lot has changed. So let's talk about this. The week after I recorded the last episode, I got the Sony FX3. And oh boy, it's amazing. So now I've been using it for what, like two months, I guess, almost. And uh, 
gosh, it's really nice. So you've heard me talk about cameras. And in the world of cameras, there's Canon versus Sony. I have a video. Um, let me see. It'll be coming out after you hear this. So soon I'll have a video that sort of explains my switch. It's, it's basically kind of what I'm talking about today, but in less detail because it's edited down for a YouTube video. Uh, but the first thing to say is I am being picky and I am being selfish. So I'm being super picky on what features that I want and I'm being selfish because I'm only focusing on what works for me and my workflow. If you look at a piece of equipment or a piece of gear, like I'm going to be talking about the Canon R5C in a minute. Uh, if I look at that, I can point out all the reasons why it might not be a great choice if you're trying to like please everybody everywhere all the time. But there are some specific workflows and some specific people where it is the absolute perfect choice. And that kind of goes for everything, every piece of gear. So I'm splitting hairs. It's 2022. Every camera is amazing from every one of the major companies. So, you know, whatever you have, whatever you use, whatever you're interested in, just know everything's great. Ultimately, I want you to be happy with your camera and the tools that you use if you're someone who uses a camera or whatever tools you use. And for me, it has just been very interesting since spring of last year to sort of like accidentally go through this transition of Canon to Sony because I was kind of adamantly against it. And a big reason being that I actually found a lot of people in the Sony community were like way too overzealous. And it wasn't just that they were excited about their cameras, which I get, like, trust me, I got the cameras, drank the Kool-Aid, super excited about them. But it was, I was noticing people were like making people feel bad for using anything else. And it was like, there's kind of like this judgment and this, I just didn't want to be a part of that. And I had to sort of like ignore that and then look at things objectively. And it was, you know, time and time again last year when I was trying to decide on a new camera and I was just trying to objectively look at every option, every manufacturer. There's great things everywhere. But for me and what I needed, it just sort of like Sony was the only one that checked all of the boxes that I had. You know, like if I want full frame 4K and all these cool video centric features and stuff like Panasonic is actually a, a really amazing choice. And they come in at a way more affordable price point, but they also don't really have autofocus like <laughs> there's sort of auto it doesn't have autofocus compared to what like sony and canon are doing panasonic does not have autofocus uh so that for me i need i need autofocus you know i like being able to switch to manual focus but for my workflow especially as a one-person crew for you know basically everything autofocus is kind of crucial uh it's also the same thing with like the black magic cameras which i really love like i still kind of want to get a Blackmagic camera at some point just for fun, but a crop sensor manual focus camera just really didn't make sense for what I needed. And then looking at the Canon cameras, the overheating issues, even though those have gotten significantly better, they're still there. Uh, the Canon cameras, I feel like are overpriced. Ironically, they're more expensive than the Sony's. And uh, it's the stupid micro HDMI port, which I've railed against many, many times I'm someone who has my camera connected via HDMI a lot. And I just like micro HDMI just doesn't work in that in that workflow. It's not reliable. It's it's frustrating to use. And I'm annoyed that expensive cameras, expensive giant cameras still have it. So ultimately, it was like, you want reliability, you want full frame 4k, you want good autofocus. Um, you know, like, Sony is is the option there. And it was easier 
not this actually has helped it was easier to convert canon lenses to the sony system so that was kind of something i was looking at too if i had gone like the fuji route or something it wouldn't have been as easy to take the lenses i already owned and then convert them to the the sony system so that's what landed on sony got the a7s3 in may of 2021 and you know, I've talked about this before, but to sum it up in case you didn't hear, I wasn't blown away right away. I was actually expecting this to be like a revelation, like the, oh my gosh, how have I been, you know, (laughs) trying to make videos without this in the past? And I didn't have that feeling. If anything, it actually made me feel like, wow, the EOS R is still really good because it's years older. It's not as technologically advanced. It's half the price. And I think it holds up and and pairs really well with this like new, expensive, more high-tech camera. And and, that was true, but as I used the Sony more and more, what I figured out was there was a learning curve, and it took me a few months to really start getting, like, the hang of that system and to really start understanding the benefits of it. And I noticed that even in my videos that I was publishing with the camera because it took, like, a few months before I started getting comments where people were like, wow, this video looks so good. Like, what, what... camera are using this looks sharper than normal this looks great and I realized that's because I was getting the hang of the camera and it was like once that happened I I started noticing all the ways that the EOS R just wasn't meeting my needs anymore and I was also noticing the ways that the Sony camera was like enabling my creativity in ways which is funny because I've seen videos from other people where they talk about they got rid of Sony cameras because they felt like they were not creatively inspiring. So again, when I'm talking about there's things that are perfect for some people and not for others, I've seen a number of videos where people are like, I got these Sony cameras, they're technical masterpieces. I didn't have any fun using them, so I switched and got, you know, Blackmagic or something. And for me, it's it's the opposite. Like, I got the Sony and the, the features, you know, being able to switch to... 4K 120, having amazing handheld stabilization, having this really good autofocus, having like what are actually awesome colors and just super image clarity and no rolling shutter and no record limit, all this stuff. It's like I got to do and make stuff in ways that I couldn't do before. And that was awesome and like super empowering. And the thing that we talked about in the last episode was that uh, I decided to buy a new lens, the Surui 50mm anamorphic lens, which is pretty expensive. And I was very excited about that. And I didn't even realize until I got the lens that even though I had one Sony camera and two Canon cameras, literally it didn't even occur to me to order the Canon version of the lens. It wasn't even like something I considered for a second. It was just, I'm getting the Sony version, putting this on my Sony camera. And that was, as we talked about in the last episode, that was kind of where I was like, oh, shoot, (laughs) I think maybe I have like switched systems and I didn't realize it. And so I sold the EOS R, which I'll talk about that. Let's talk about let's talk about that because I was sort of debating. I was actually not I was just going to say I sold the EOS R and I'm done, but I actually had kind of a crappy experience. And um, (laughs) so, okay. I put the EOS R up for sale in a few places. It was in great condition. It was my second EOS R. So it was only a year old and I literally have never taken it outside. It was only a studio camera. Um, you know, it, it, it that's all it was used for. It was just in my studio space. 
taken super good care of, not beaten up or anything, literally never taken outside, bought it brand new in the summer of 2020 for, I think it was $1,700. And, you know, you can find them on eBay and stuff for thirteen, fourteen hundred, or whatever. So it'd be nice to get that kind of price for it. Um, I also had the Canon 16 to 35 millimeter EF lens, the F4 one that I, I really like. I, it's a great lens. I bought that several years ago when I thought I was going to do a lot more like outdoor vlogging style stuff. And the 16 to 35 would be perfect for that. But I just didn't like my channel just didn't turn into that. My workflow didn't really turn into that. Um, and so while that was an amazing lens, I just never really used it. So I also put that up for sale. The lens again, like new condition, I take really good care of my stuff. And these things also hadn't been used that much. So everything's like new. The EOS R had all the packaging and everything. The lens didn't have the box, but it had everything else. And, uh, no one was buying them, which was fine. You know, like it's harder to sell old camera gear. I looked at the B&H trade-in thing because you can go to B&H's website, go to their use section, and then trade in gear, and they'll give you a quote right away. And they gave me a quote for the EOS R of like, I think it was like $800 or $900. And I was like, oh, that's like way too low. And then I noticed Adorama uh, like promoted a thing that was also a used gear trade-in. And so I thought, oh, that's cool. Like, I'll see what their quote is. But there's B&H was like, you typed it in, you got a quote right away. Adorama's was like, you put in your list of stuff and then they contact you with a quote, which I was okay with, but I didn't know there was gonna be like an actual phone call where someone called me, which was actually fine. The person was super nice and then gave me his email address and we corresponded through email because I was asking questions and they were super upfront on like, uh, we basically pay you 70% of the used sales price so they they take a it basically means there's a 30 percent markup on their used gear and you know that made sense to me because you're dealing with used equipment you have to sell it you have to deal with whatever issues it might have so 30 percent markup it, it actually made sense and even though that's not as much money as you'd be getting selling it by yourself it's easier to sell it to companies like this because you know you're not you don't become a customer service representative you send in the stuff you get your you get your your money and you're done. And I, I did that with my MacBook Pro that I sold last year. I did sellyourmac.com, which is why I even consider this because that was a great experience from the time I typed in to get the quote for the computer to the time, uh, you know, they had the computer and the money was in my bank account was seven days. That was like including weekend, like it was literally a week to get the whole thing taken care of. Uh, the amount that they gave me was exactly what they quoted. And nothing, I, I did a good job describing the computer before I sent it and everything, but it was super above board. And I was like, oh, if Adorama has like the same version of that for cameras, that would be great. And, you know, and then I don't have to deal with eBay fees and trying to ship something and p potentially sketchy people or whatever. Um, and so Adorama said that they're like, okay, we'll give you $1,100. And, and I was like, okay, you know, I feel like I could probably get 1400 if I sold the camera myself, but 1100 it's done, that's good. Okay, fine. Um, and then I asked, you know, I have this lens as well. And they're like, oh, we'll have to, you know, assess the lens, but you can send it in, you know, go ahead and send it in. We'll, we'll quote you. And they do the thing like, I no, they gave me a shipping label. I didn't have to pay to send it in. Um, so I sent it to them. And then it's a thing where, you know, they give you the quote. And if you don't like the quote, they'll send it back. So you don't really have anything to lose. So I thought, well, I, you don't really, but <laughs> I sent it in. And it took like two weeks before anybody got back to me, which was 
really frustrating. And I kept contacting the person I had talked to through email who was like super nice. But I think once the gear came in, like he was sort of done and it went to a different department and I was just getting like no information. And every once in a while, like late at night, my phone would ring with a weird number that I didn't recognize for like two rings, then it would go dead. And that would be somebody, I think, trying to call, but they weren't leaving messages. They weren't emailing me. They weren't returning my emails. I would try calling and leaving messages and I never got like actual return call. It was like really hard to get in touch with them. And finally, they just sent me a thing where they said, okay, here's your quote. It's $1,100. I was like, okay, that's what they said. What about the lens? And then someone did reply and say, the quote is for the camera and the lens. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is, I bought this camera new for $1,700. This lens brand new is $1,000. And I even went to their used thing and I was like, okay, you guys are selling the EOS R for $1,400 used in good condition. You're selling this Canon lens for $700 in good condition um, or something like that. And I was like, okay, so if you add that up minus 30%, I came up with $2,100. I was like, this is what would be fair if you're giving me 70% of the used value for both of these items based on what you're actually selling them for, it would be $2,100. And then I did get a phone call from someone who was friendly on the phone, but I'm not going to lie, I felt like pressured because I am a socially weird person and I felt pressured to like, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Um, they're like, yeah, so we, you know, we've got money here for you ready to like pay out. How do you want to pay it? It's It's this amount here. And I was like, well, you know, I thought this amount would be based on these two items, it should be that. And he was like, well, these are going to be a package deal. And based on the condition, the lens has some scratches on the element and yada, yada, yada. Um, so it's it's $1,100 for both because it's going to be a package deal. And at this point, it had actually been over a month. I had sent so many emails, so many phone calls, and I like felt pressured that I actually agreed to this terrible offer, <laughs> which was stupid. Um, but I just kind of wanted to be done with it. And like the thought was, I could say no, they send me the camera back, and then I start from scratch again trying to sell a camera and then ship it and then eat some seller fees or whatever. So like, instead of doing that, like I'm just going to be done with it. Um, and so I took the deal uh, for like 1100 bucks, which was a really bad deal. And that was it. And then I was sitting there like, okay, you know, that was a high pressure situation. I didn't like that. Uh, they were totally BSing me on the price because I can see what these items are listed for in their thing. And I fell for this thing of like, oh, these are going to be a, a package deal. And I was like, why would you sell these? The odds of somebody needing an EOS R and an EF 16 to 35 millimeter lens are really slim because this lens doesn't even work with this camera. Like you need an adapter. Why would you sell that as a package deal? And I've been checking their used website and guess what has never shown up as a package deal? Both of those items together. So that was just a BS way of like getting me to accept less money. Uh, so anyway, um, I bought stuff from Adorama in the past. I've never had a bad experience with them. I've been to their store in New York. They've always been great. I will never use them again <laughs> after this. So, And I wrote a thing that said that. Um, so that, I don't know. That Anyway, that was sort of a tangent, but I forget why I even decided. I Just explaining the situation. That's where one of my EOS R's went, which I feel really dumb about, but live and learn, I guess. Anyway, I was hoping to have a little more money to fund a new camera because I was, that was when I decided to get a second Sony camera. Now we're back on track. And uh, originally I was kind of thinking, hey, having these two EOS R's is really handy because they're exactly the same camera. And if you've ever had two of the exact same camera, you know what I mean. It's so easy to match footage. 
every button is in the exact same place. Every setting can be exactly the same. Like your workflow is so smooth when you have two of the exact same camera. And I thought having another A7S III would be great, especially because Sony has the thing where you can save your camera settings to an SD card, put them in another camera, and then like I could get a second camera and instantly clone it so that all of my customization and everything is exactly the same. The cameras match perfectly instead of having to do it manually, which is like really, really cool. Uh, The problem being basically impossible to get an A7S III, even now, even still like at the time this episode's released, you can't get an A7S III once in a while, I guess I should say, I've seen them pop up for like $4,600 or $5,000, which normally it's a $3,400 camera. So that's insane. Don't spend that much money on the camera. Uh, and everyone I talked to back in like early to mid-December was like, yeah, we're not going to be getting any of these maybe till February. You know, we're like back ordered so far. I was like, oh, geez. So I started looking at the FX3 as an option because the inside of the FX3 is exactly the same as the A7S3. Same sensor, same setting, same menu, same everything. It's kind of why the FX3 is a little bit of a confusing camera. It's exactly the same as the A7S3. It's just in a different body. Um, and Sony calls it a cinema camera. There's the debate over like, what does that even mean? Because it, why is the A7S3 not? And this is, but yeah, it's in a different body. The body has a fan, some different mounting points, some different ergonomics. So the labels on the buttons are a little more video centric. Um, but in terms of quality, it's the exact same camera, not the same button layout. So your settings are a little different, but it also, it's a little more expensive. So it's $3,800 and it comes with an XLR top handle, uh, which actually is super cool. I watched a whole bunch of videos about it where people were like, Oh, it's like really flimsy and plasticky and it is plastic, but it's like, I don't, I don't know who, like who's hulking out on their FX three where they're going to snap this thing or whatever it's fine. Um, the funky part is you, you have to like, it has the XLR unit on it all the time. You can't take that off. And so if you just want the top handle, you're also carrying around these XLR controls, which could potentially get like damaged or something, but you can also just put like a regular top handle on the camera. Anyway, um, I really like it. And what's really cool about it is because of the way it works, it, it mounts into the camera's accessory shoe and connects wirelessly, not wirelessly, but through the accessory shoe. So there's no cables you have to plug in. And then you have two XLR ports with full manual controls on them, phantom power and everything. And then um, not does it just connect to the accessory shoe, but it actually then screws into the body of the camera. So it doesn't feel like you're going to damage the camera or put too much like um, force on the accessory shoe, which is something I always worry about with those handles that like screw into accessory shoes, because it feels like I'm going to, you know, break something if I use it too much or carry it too hard. So I, I like the ruggedness of the uh, FX3. Plus it's got tally lights everywhere, which for me, again, as a one person crew is awesome because no matter where the camera is, you can tell when it's recording. You can tell when it's not, it, you know, it's super easy. And, uh, oh, and it has a fan. So not that the A7S3 has ever overheated on me, but especially living in the desert, I haven't had, I guess I did have the A7S3 during summer and I had no problems, but if there ever were a problem, I need to do a bunch of 4K 120 footage out in the middle of 120 degree heat. I know the FX3 will not overheat, <laughs> at least. Um, and I, the FX3 was almost as hard to find as the A7S3. Um, it's basically out of stock everywhere, but I found like a place in the mid in the U.S. Midwest. I think it was Wisconsin. It was Full Compass, FullCompass.com or Full Compass Systems, which I had never heard of. Turns out they're super legit. They were absolutely awesome to deal with. 
they had two FX3s, like the last two I could find on the internet at the time. So I got one of them. I didn't buy two of them. I got one of them. Um, and they were great. Like, it, I love finding retailers that I didn't know about that are actually good. Um, you know, I looked up like reviews of the place and saw what it looks like. And it's like, it's a very legit, it's not just some shady business or whatever. It's like a very authorized, real retailer. Um, so they were great. And they got the camera to me super quick. And then I had my FX3. And it has been awesome because the FX3 has now become like my A camera um, because of that audio handle. So when I'm recording videos, I can now run an XLR mic, even this microphone, if I wanted directly into that camera because it has phantom power. So it'll power the mics. Uh, but what I've been using is the Sennheiser MKH 50 running directly into the camera. And then the XLR mics are synced. I don't have to like, usually I would record in the roadcaster and then sync the audio it's not hard to do that, but it's one extra step. It's one extra file to keep track of. It's one extra thing to transfer. And this is nothing. It's just as soon as I'm done, it's done. And then I've been using the A7S three as a B camera. And then I was using the EOS R as a C camera, I guess, because sometimes I'll have my A and my B camera going. I'm talking about like a standard video that I'd make my A and my B camera. And then sometimes I have a third camera that's sort of like uh, filming close-up shots if I'm like showing something seen this in a lot of like my retro camera videos where I'm trying to show the buttons and the layouts instead of only using B-roll that I film later. Sometimes it's nice to be able to do it as I'm recording. So the camera like shows close-ups and things. And the EOS R's cropped 4K is actually super helpful for that because it pushes in even tighter. And that setup has been working fine, except for a couple of things. The EOS R has that recording limit which is annoying because the Sonys don't. And when I do the talking head portion of videos, I do tend to go over 30 minutes. And so there's always this pressure of like, I glance at the camera, I see that it's at like 27 minutes, I'm in the middle of a thought, I'm really like hit my stride. And now I have to like, okay, I need to wrap this up really quickly, or I need to stop, restart everything, and then try to get back in the flow and the rhythm of everything, which is hard. And so it's annoying. <laughs> so the record limit was annoying. And the other thing was the Sonys are good stills cameras if you're not planning to do a ton with the photos. Because part of what makes the FX3 and the A7S3 such good video cameras is that, they, um, that they're 12 megapixel sensors. So that's one of the reasons they don't overheat. That's why they're so good in low light. That's why they don't have any rolling shutter issues. Uh, it's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits to using that 12 megapixel sensor for a 4K camera. Uh, the EOS R is a 30 megapixel sensor, which is why it has the 4K crop, because especially back in 2018, the Canon didn't know how to make a full frame 30 megapixel camera that wouldn't overheat if you did full frame 4K. That's where the crop came from. It was out of necessity, which totally makes sense because the EOS R never overheats. It is a super reliable camera. Uh, but that meant that if I wanted to take photos that I was planning to print, that I was planning to blow up, that I was planning to even do some like crazy compositing or something or like really, you know, wacky Photoshop stuff where I'm like zooming in on one part of the photo and which I actually do fairly regularly, like having the EOS R's 30 megapixel sensor has been really helpful. Um, the problem is <laughs> that the Sony's just pointed out all the areas that the R, while it's a great camera and it was especially great when it came out you know, four years later, isn't the best in all these areas anymore. The autofocus wasn't what I wanted it to be. The colors weren't where I wanted wanted it to be. Um, 
And then I was sort of feeling like I didn't have a, I kind of didn't have the stills camera that I wanted because I'm trying to think of like the way to explain my thought process here. If I, if I were to use the EOS R as a still camera, so say I was going somewhere where I wanted to take photos and videos and I, I can only take one camera. It's only practical to take one camera. I'm sort of stuck because I can take the Sony's, which will take great video but if it's like a once in a lifetime thing, I'm stuck with 12 megapixel photos. Probably my Canon XTI, my first DSLR in 2007 was a 10 megapixel sensor. My T2i in 2010 was a an 18 megapixel sensor. So it's like, I, I, I feel like I'm potentially limiting, you know, if, if something really cool is happening, I'm taking photos, I'm sort of like limited there. But if I take the EOS R, I can get all the great photos I want. But if something then is with video, I'm sort of stuck with like 1080 video or cropped 4K, which sometimes just isn't practical. And the EOS R's 1080 is very high quality, but it's especially now that I've been using the Sony's for a while, it's just not the same as full frame 4K. And the A7S III and the FX3 are so expensive that I sort of have like I have this weird thing where I'm not super comfortable taking them places if it's not work related. Like if Heather and I are just going somewhere for fun or visiting somewhere or whatever, and I just want to take a camera for fun, like not to even make like a work related video, not to post photos, but just, you know, camera for personal fun. I'm sort of uncomfortable taking them because they're so expensive. And if they, you know, I'm very careful with my stuff, but especially if you're on a road trip or doing something, stuff happens. And I'm just scared that I don't know. I just felt like, geez, I'd be really putting myself in a risky position, hurting my workflow. I know I can't replace these cameras because even if I had the money for it, like you can't get them. So maybe I need something else. And even though I was not interested in it at all when it was released, I decided the Sony a7 IV might actually be perfect because it is significantly cheaper than either of the ones that I had. It's a 33 megapixel camera. It's an amazing stills camera. Its video capabilities are almost the same as the other two Sonys that I have. It doesn't, it has cropped 4K60, which I actually don't use 4K60 that much, so it doesn't matter. And it doesn't have 4K 120, which I use all the time on my other cameras. But my other two cameras have 4K 120. So, um, so I'm losing that, but I'm gaining a really good stills camera. That's also a really good video camera that I would feel more comfortable sort of being like the camera that I throw on a strap on my shoulder and like walk around with. And um, so yeah, so somehow the A7 IV was really hard to get. How the heck did I get an A7 IV? I got it from ProCam. Yeah, uh, that's another place that I found a couple years ago. ProCam.com. They're in like Chicago or somewhere. Um, and they're great. That's where my one of my EOSRs came from them actually. Because uh, if you just go to B&H or the main sites or whatever, they sell out first because of the popular sites. The A7 IV is like impossible to get. ProCam had one and I couldn't believe it. I was like, I had to do like, um, like support chat to be like, your website says this is in stock, but like, is it really in stock? And I'm like, yeah, totally. And it came in like two days. And then I had the A7 IV, which has been so much fun to use. Uh, and yeah, so that's that's like that's full Sony switch. That's not like I have one Sony camera or whatever, but it's like, I now have one Canon and three Sony's. Um, and Heather has been using my Canon 6D Mark II 
in her YouTube studio for ages because she just her camera never moves. It's on the tripod. The 6D doesn't even have clean HDMI out, so she just has it in manual focus because it's like the focus never changes, which is kind of cool because there's no focus breathing if you're in manual focus. Um, but she might end up using the R because it does have autofocus. Um, and it has, you know, some other, it's a little bit better image quality or whatever. So yeah, I don't, I, you know, I still like the R, but it's, it's like, now I've been using it to take pictures of the Sony cameras, which is super weird. So anyway, that's been my camera odyssey. Uh, since the, since the last time we did a podcast episode was two new Sony cameras. I've like the, with like the trifecta, the A7S3, the FX3 and the A7 IV. And they're all so good. Like, you know, they're not perfect. The thing I dislike the most is the screen. The screen quality is not great um, on any of them. They all use the same kind of weird sort of low quality screen. And people have been saying that the A7IV's screen is smaller than the other ones. The bezels are smaller, but the screen itself, like the active area, I think is the same. Uh, and it's sort of weird. Like the EOS R has a way better display. It's higher resolution. It's like it's widescreen. It's way better. And that camera is super cheap from 2018. Well, cheaper from 2018. So I don't know. I don't know why the screens are not the best, but they're fine. Like they're totally usable. They're not super color accurate, but they're fine. And they flip out. So that's great because I ragged on Sony for years for not having flip out screens, and which are great for more than just vlogging, by the way. Um, so anyway, yeah, that has been that has been great. And I've really, really been enjoying those cameras and learning more about them and getting like image quality and results that are better than, than anything I've ever been able to get before. And that that's not just YouTube, but it's also like, you know, if I'm doing stuff that's not for YouTube or if I'm doing stuff, like I said, that's just personal, it's really, really fun. Like not everything I'm taking a photo of or a video clip of has to be posted online or shared online. Like, you know, we might just want to take a photo and print it out, and put it up on our wall. Or, um, you know, that's like my parents' favorite gift is to have, photos instead of you know a gift or something so getting them like a canvas print of a photo is something that always means a lot so now i have like tools to do really cool stuff like that and i'm i love it and they all use all the cameras use the same battery they all use the same lenses um they're all amazing they're such it's just that's so good uh we'll talk about we could talk about that in future episodes because there are a lot of things in the a7 IV, which is the cheapest camera that i would like to see brought via firmware to the more expensive cameras but we can talk about that as time goes on. Because the other thing, here was my fear. One of my many fears was sticking with Canon for a really long time and like really, really rooting for Canon. Like, come on guys, I know, like I, you make great cameras, you make great lenses. Just stop ignoring the video users or, or stop saying that, you know, if someone's gonna be a video user to get the full featured thing, you need to be in the cinema series because the price difference is just huge, especially if you're talking full frame. And I just wanted them to do that. I pre-ordered the R5 when they announced it. And then once all the overheating stuff came out, I was like, oh, it's going to be $3,800 for a camera that might not work for my workflow, especially when that camera first came out. Uh, because yeah, the and the R6 firmware updates have made them so much better. But when they first came out, it was like they were overheating just from going through the menus and stuff, which I don't think happens as much anymore or at all. Uh, which is great. But yeah, the R5 was just, it's, 
as expensive as the FX3, but other than its still photo capabilities, it's like more limited in every way other than 8K. And for me, like I'm not someone who needs an 8K camera. You know, I think once in a while, if I had 8K, I would probably use it for very specific effects shots. Like I I saw um, a video from Philip Bloom a while ago where he he started off, I don't know what, I forget which video it was, but it started off with like um, a camera, the camera was filming a camera monitor. So you saw his face on a camera monitor and the shot slowly pulled out and eventually went from that one small monitor, you could see his whole room and he had like, I don't know, five monitors and this crazy huge camera rig set up. It was like this insane thing. And it went from the one little point to like all these things. And he filmed that with the Canon R5 in 8K so that he could crop in on that one thing and then digitally put, pull out without losing any resolution. Things like that are where 8K can do some some really magical stuff. But I don't need to be filming my videos in 8K. I don't have these storage capacities for 8K. I don't have... It's just not a thing that I have any need for for the time being. Like I have just stepped into full full frame native 4k i don't need to be going into 8k anytime soon so for me the 8k feature is kind of a fun little trick but it's not it's not anything that's like wow this is why i should get that camera and that's for me for other people it might be different so i'm just talking about my specific needs here um, and the r5 is an amazing photo camera and it's super high resolution and it it beats both of my higher end sony's in that regard um, but I was looking, you know, for video, especially when I ordered the R5. So that's why I canceled that order. And then I was waiting because there was rumors almost immediately that Canon would do a cinema version, a video focused version of the R5. And it's like, okay, well, when are they going to do that? <laughs> um, and that was in the summer of 2020 that like those rumors started and they released that camera in January of 2022. So it was a while. And a fear that I had was, okay, I'm getting invested in the Sony system. Rumors of this R5 cinema version are, are coming out. Will I make this Sony switch and the Canon comes out with like the camera that would have been perfect for me and I'm going to regret it? And that did not happen. <laughs> so to spoil that, that did not happen. Canon did come out with the R5C in January. And it's a cool camera in a lot of ways, but it's also like infuriating in a lot of ways. And for me, it was, I talked about the R3 being um, sort of a nail in the coffin because it's like a $6,000 camera with micro HDMI. So even though it has great photo capabilities, great video capabilities, they're still purposely crippling it on the video side of things to push people into the cinema series. And if you want a full frame cinema camera, you have to spend like upwards of 10 grand because the C70 is not full frame. That's what, $5,500? It's not full frame. Um, but you can get the speed booster, which then makes it $6,000. And it's kind of sort of full frame, but not really, but like kind of, but not. So if you want true full frame, which I do, you need to spend upwards of 10 grand, which I won't. <laughs> Just won't do that. So um, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. So the R3 made me mad, but the R3 is also first and foremost, like an action photo camera, sports action photo camera. So I couldn't really fault it too much. And I was so curious. Canon has had years now since the R5 came out. All of the 
the customer feedback, all of the industry changes, all of the tech changes. Now they're coming out with a video first version. How is it going to be better? And let's talk about the positive, actually. So let's talk about things that are pretty awesome about the R5C. Uh, one would be the, it's sort of controversial, but the way that it dual boots into different operating systems, I think is actually pretty cool because basically um, the on-off switch, like if you turn it to the video mode, it boots up as a cinema camera. And if you ever used one of Canon's cinema cameras, they have a very different menu system, very different options than their photo cameras do. And that's what the R5C will have when you turn into video mode is all of these cinema features. And it has some like legit cinema. It has some, it's a, it's a lot of full on cinema camera functionality, which is great for people who do video. And it even has cool stuff like waveform monitors, false color, anamorphic T squeeze. It's, it's legit. Like you, you can't argue with that. I think that's really, really cool. Cause that's one of the big criticisms of the FX3, which the R5C is directly competing against the FX3. We'll kind of get into that in a second, but that's one of the criticisms of the FX3 is, okay, it looks different than the A7S III, but really like, why is this a cinema camera? And that one's not like the menus are the same. It's, it's basically exactly the same camera. Um, and Canon with the R5C was like, no, here's a huge way that this is different. Um, and then if you turn the little power switch to the photo mode, you get sort of the normal Canon menu that you would have on the R5 where you can then do your photos and it's, it should be basically just, I haven't used R5C, so I can't tell you this, but it should be basically the same photo capable camera for the most part, kind of as the R5, which is cool. The downside between that is it takes eight to 10 seconds to switch between those to boot up, which sucks because, you know, if you're doing like a planned out shoot, it's not a problem. I'll turn on my camera, set things up that eight to 10 seconds is no big deal. But if, I, if something happens and I need to turn on the camera and get a shot real quick, I'm going to miss it. And if I'm in video mode and now I want to take a photo, I have to wait 10 seconds. Like, yeah, that sucks. I'm kind of hopeful that uh, it's definitely clunky. And I, my hope is that with firmware updates, they would be able to decrease that time a little bit. I think some of it is just, it's a practical limitation. Like it's going to take some time to boot up between those, but I feel like some brilliant software engineers or developers or whatever could take that down from eight to 10 seconds to maybe like three or four seconds. That would be cool. Um, you know, that would be a, a huge quality of life <laughs> increase. Uh, the R5C, the body of it is basically the R5 with a fan stuck on the back of it. I know that's kind of become a joke, but that is what it is. And that's kind of what it needed to be because now it can, it never overheats. So you can just record like 8k footage. As long as you have power and storage, you can just keep going forever, basically more than you would ever need to. So it addressed that problem a lot, which is really, really great. Um, it looks kind of goofy with like the big thing just bolted on the back, but I also kind of, I am I have like a soft spot for like chunky cameras. So um, it is kind of one of those, I keep thinking of the L1. I made a video about the Canon L1, their first interchangeable lens camcorder, where I talk about the design of it being like parts of cameras smashed together. And that was in 1989. It's like, they're kind of doing the same thing here in a way. It's like, it sort of looks like one of those cameras. that's like parts of cameras smashed together. Or if you ever saw early, early, early digital cameras, which were literally film camera bodies with like a digital processor thing smashed to the back and they're like super weird. This sort of reminds me of that, but it's a little more slick. Um, I think, I think, you know, the design is, I think that it, the design is functional and practical and that's what it needed to be. And they did a good job of that. 
um, you know, Canon and the image quality, you know, it's a camera. Image quality, by all accounts, is absolutely amazing. So very, very cool stuff. Now, <laughs> here's the reasons why I, it's like, cool, peace out, Canon, because cheese. So the R5C is $4,500, uh, which is a lot of money. So it's $600 more than the R5, and it's $600 more than the FX3, which is its direct competitor. That's dumb. <laughs> it does not need to be... <sighs> so, okay, so it, here's, a, here's a few reasons why that's dumb. Canon uh, did also promote this XLR audio interface that can go with the R5C. It, it's not like a top handle that screws in, but it does mount to the accessory shoe, and it, it kind of works the same way that the Sony one does, where there's it, it powers through the accessory shoe so you don't have to plug in cables and stuff. It looks very similar to the Sony one, but it's made by Tascam. It's not even made by Canon, so like they contracted out to Tascam. Which to me is just kind of weird. I guess I guess not. I guess Canon's not an audio company, whereas Sony has a lot more experience with audio and capabilities with audio. So I guess that's not weird, but it feels kind of weird. I mean, Canon, it feels kind of weird. I'm not going to lie. But that doesn't come with the camera. That's another, what is it, another $500? $600? Basically, if you get the R5C with that audio handle, it costs $1,000 more than the FX3 that includes an audio handle. So there's nothing, unless you need that 8K workflow, to me there's just nothing real about that camera that is $1,000 better than the FX3. I, I <laughs> And the FX3's been out, what, like a year longer? Like, geez, I, it's, it's kind of baffling to me. Uh, so there's, that's a problem, obviously. Uh, the power is a problem because... Canon wanted to use the same batteries they've been using for a while, the LPE6 series batteries, which are great. And if you're a Canon shooter, you probably have all kinds of them. There's slightly different versions of those batteries, but you know, they're, you've been using them for a while. Um, but this camera really needed something like the R3 has, like a really big battery that's going to last forever because it it seems to have terrible battery life, so much so that you can't use certain frame rates and modes, especially if you want to go into like the 8K stuff. You can't use it unless the camera is connected to power, which is very limiting. So you have to like be physically plugged in to use all the fun. And that's just like, to me, that's such a classic Canon thing of like, okay, you sort of gave us what we wanted, and then you made it wildly impractical to use it in the way that you're kind of promoting that we could use it. Because now I have to plug the camera into the wall to take advantage of all the stuff that you're saying it can do. Uh, that's weird. In addition to, they removed IBIS, which um, I, I think is, again, I've talked about Canon sucks at marketing. This is Canon sucking at marketing. Because Canon came out with IBIS with the R5 and the R6. They had never really had it before. And they came out with IBIS. And for photos in those cameras, it's really, really good. For video, it is not good. If you've seen people filming with IBIS, it's sort of like this weird thing where like it tries to work in tandem with the lens, but you don't have a lot of control over it. Ultimately, in video, you end up with a lot of like this insane looking wobble. Like if you've ever applied a digital stabilizer to some footage and it doesn't work right sometimes and everything looks like warpy and wobbly it's almost like that's what the cameras look like but that's 
what's happening like physically, optically within the camera. Uh, it's really weird. And it's been a criticism since those cameras came out. They've tried to like mitigate it with firmware, but I think it's like literally part of the physical design. And then they've just removed IBIS altogether from the R5C. It does have electronic stabilization and electronic stabilization can be really good. So I'm not, you know, electronic is fine, but here's Canon being Canon. When the R5 and the R6 came out, they talked about IBIS being so good that you don't need a gimbal anymore. Like, oh, like filmmaking without limits, no gimbal, that kind of stuff. And then the R5C came out and they're like, well, real professional filmmakers who are going to have this camera will probably just put it on a gimbal anyway, so they don't need IBIS. Like, that's what Canon said. <laughs> so which is it? Like, is IBIS so good that you don't need a gimbal anymore? Or is IBIS something you don't need because people are just going to use gimbals? It can't be both, Canon. It can't be both. Uh, but they just think people aren't going to connect dots. And it's like the lack of credit being given to, I don't know, their customers or potential customers is mind boggling sometimes. So that's dumb. One of the things that the FX3 is criticized for, especially being called a cinema camera, is it does not have built-in ND filters, which basically, if you look at Canon and Sony, any of their cinema cameras have built-in ND filters, which is so nice and so important. And with the weird variety of cinema lenses and all this stuff, it's it's a really helpful thing to have in a camera that you're calling a cinema camera is built-in ND filters. The Blackmagic has it uh, for significantly less money. It's amazing. Electronic built-in NDs. And the 6K Pro is bigger than the R5C, bigger than the FX3, but not by much. But the thing was, Sony did say that the FX3 was too small to have physical NDs built into it. And I believe that. I don't think there's room to have the filters moving around inside the camera. And they said that it does have IBIS and you can't have both, which I think is true. Like from the engineering standpoint, having the sensor physically move and then having a filter moving in front of the sense, like it's going to be really hard to line those things up. So that's why a camera can't really have IBIS and variable ND or at least it might not be practical because you would need like an ND that's so big, no matter how the sensor moves, it's not going, it's going to cover the sensor. And then the camera would have to be like the size of a record or something like, like, a, like an old LP, uh, which wouldn't make a lot of sense. So a lot of sensor sense. So um, I believe that. So the FX3, the small compact camera that has IBIS, that's why it doesn't have variable ND. The R5C is a very big camera that doesn't have IBIS why no variable ND? I don't know. It should. Um, and I think the reason for that is the same reason that it also has a feature that will, I'll never stop screaming about micro HDMI, a $4,500 full frame, legit cinema series branded camera with micro HDMI as the only video output. It's not like it has SDI and micro HDMI, only micro HDMI. If you want your video to be sent out, you have to use micro HDMI on a cinema camera. I'm sorry, but screw that. That is so stupid. Um, now, if you're somebody who doesn't ever use the HDMI port on your camera, you're not going to care about this. But if you're somebody like me, my camera's connected to some sort of HDMI thing, whether it's an ATEM mini or a monitor or a wireless unit. 
a lot of the time, like a huge percentage of the time, probably more than half the time I'm using my camera, it's connected to something like that. All the Sonys just have full-size HDMI, even though every one of those bodies is smaller than the R5C. So if they can fit it in that, they should be able to fit it in the Canon one. And it's, here's the reason why I think they didn't. <clears throat> and it's, again, Canon being Canon. <sighs> I think that, so there's there's the joke, right? Of the R5C is the R5 with a fan strapped to the back. And it is, and that's what it needed to be. But I think so much so, if you really look at these cameras and you look at the way that they're made, the R5 and the R5C, they use a lot of the same parts. Like, the, like, like I don't know what number, what percentage of the body is exactly the same, but clearly Canon tried to reduce the amount of new parts they had to design and manufacture as much as possible, which any company would do. I guess except Sony, because the FX3 is entirely new and doesn't look anything like the A7S III. So, hmm. But it it makes sense. You're a company. It costs a ton of money to design parts. It costs a ton of money to manufacture those parts. And if you can have one, if you can have multiple products that use the same parts, that's going to save you a ton of money and a ton of time. So I get that. Uh, It seems like they used so much of the existing R5 stuff that that's what limited the R5C. For example, I bet considering there's already an HDMI port, there's already the micro HDMI port, the amount of room that they would need to add a full-size HDMI port can't be that massive, right? And if like, it, it's not like you need six more inches of space or something in there. It's, it's probably millimeters on a board or something. And if you've already committed to like, yeah, this camera is going to be this wacky thing that has a fan strapped to the back and it's big and chunky or whatever. If you need a few more millimeters to just boop, pop in a full-size HDMI port, just do it. Like you've already gone this far, just go that much further to add in that much more functionality. But I think my tinfoil hat conspiracy is that the reason they didn't do that is because they want to use as much of the same parts from the R5 as possible, not just housing and things, but also boards. So I would bet that if you disassembled the R5C and the R5, you would see that the part of the board or whatever that has the H the micro HDMI port is exactly the same between those two cameras. And it was just cheaper and easier for them to use that. I would even bet that the R3, despite the fact it's a bigger camera, probably uses that same bit of electronics. I don't know if it's a board or whatever it is, probably uses the exact same one as the R5 and the R6. So what that would mean is now Canon can have four camera models, R5, R6, R5C, R3, all using the exact same video output module, we'll call it. And that's that's got to be saving them some money, right? So from a financial standpoint, it's great. Somebody wins. Hey, I designed, you know, we designed this new camera. We put this thing out. We cut costs here. Yay, gold star. Uh, from the customer standpoint, you're like, you have given me a cinema camera with micro HDMI. And if you're... <laughs> I didn't even get into the amount of people that use, you know, field monitors and recorders and things like ninjas and whatnot that also use full size. It's not uncommon for a cinema camera to have something connected to it through HDMI. And I'm not even talking about SDI, which really would have been the more professional output. Um, But I wouldn't have expected a camera the size of the R5C to have SDI. So that 
didn't surprise me that it didn't have that, but the lack of the the C70 has full size HDMI. All of the other cinema series cameras do. The R5C does not, and I think I think that is because they're just trying to reuse as many of the same parts as possible, which means they're not trying to serve the customers as best as possible, meet their needs as much as possible. They're just trying to, you know, be the bottom line company, which is also frustrating when then you look at the camera and you realize it's six hundred dollars more than its competition and the other model. And I think the only reason it's $600 more is because they ha- they had to make it that way because if they made it the same price as the R5, that would have been confusing. If they made it like $200 more, like the R5 is $3,800 and the R5C is $4,000, like it's not enough of a difference. So I think they just had to make it $600 more expensive so it feels like a different model, even though the FX3, its closest competitor, is $600 less and comes with the audio handle. Like, if anything, what they should have done, because I do feel that the R5 is overpriced, they should have cut the price of the R5 down to match the A7S III, so $3,400, and then put the uh, R5C at $3,800. Even, you know, it's an 8K camera. Put it up to $3,900 then. Make it a little more expensive than the FX3 because it has all that 8K functionality built in. And then... There you go. Oh, we didn't even talk about autofocus. For some for some inexplicable reason, I'm sure there's an engineering reason for this. Uh, the R5 has a dual pixel 2, which is amazing autofocus. Um, it's definitely something that people have not had any complaints with, with the R5. So cool. Be great to have that on the R5C. Nope, never mind. We're going to go back to dual pixel one, which is still good autofocus, but it's not as good as the R5, which is cheaper and came out two years ago. What? Like what? <laughs> uh, and I know it has, I mentioned the, the operating system. You can boot into the cinema operating system. I can't verify this, but I, I'm guessing that the camera, since it's probably using so many of the same parts as the R5, is not using crazy new processors and stuff. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. But my guess is that you could load that same software onto the R5. But the reason you wouldn't want to do that is because then it would be a very confusing camera and it's not equipped to not overheat when when using a lot of that stuff. So, you know, you need the fan and the power and all that to use those things. It's just it just sort of seems like it seems like it's a really cool camera in a lot of ways, but it all seems like a complete mess in a lot of other ways. And it also seems like sometimes I feel like Canon couldn't hit a beach ball with a tennis racket because they missed the mark so many times. Just I don't know. I'm I'm just <laughs> I can't even. It's 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 the thing of that camera came out and I got so nervous because I was like, oh man, am I gonna regret my Sony switch because now Canon like hit back with something really big. Uh, and that is not how I feel at all because for my needs, my needs specifically, gosh, the R5C wouldn't meet any of them. <laughs> like it's, it's just, it would be such a frustrating, expensive camera to use for me. For other people, maybe even for you, again, it could be perfect. And like, you know, I mean, heck, if it is perfect or if you have strong opinions where you're feeling other ways, like, let me know about it. Send an email to Tom at enthusiasmproject.com. Send a voice memo or a video clip or whatever. And like, I'll put you in next week's episode and we can hear another side because this is just my side on this. But wow, I just, ah, I just can't believe, I can't believe it. And it's, it's such a bummer because 
canon was such is such a like I have such an affinity for the cameras. I know it's just a giant corporation, but for the cameras, for what they mean to me, um, for the legacy that they do have of really high quality, really reliable stuff, really great lenses, really great cameras. I built two of my media programs basically entirely around Canon. And to just like, ah, to see them make such stupid decisions that I'm sure come from the administrative level. I don't think those come from the engineering or the developer level. I'm sure you've got people working in like the design field or whatever, where they're like, this would be exactly what we need to do. And then a manager comes in and says like, do that, but make it cost this much. And that's where the person has to go. Okay. Micro HDMI, (laughs) you know, like weird stuff like that. it's so frustrating though. But, you know, cameras are incredibly personal. The thing that is really funny is I remember when I was a teacher uh, in my most recent program, the last program that I was at, uh, it was largely built around Canon. I I mean, geez, the number of, I don't even know how many cameras there were. Probably uh, 60 Canon bodies in that program. Everything from Canon Rebels all the way up to the R and the RP all the way up to the C200 and the C100. I didn't go beyond that. I didn't get R5s and stuff just because like we did not have a computer lab to process crazy 4K footage and stuff. So kind of kept things mostly 1080 with some 4K capability built in there. Um, But I did have some Sony bodies just because I thought it would be foolish that since I, as the instructor, preferred Canon, um, I knew that in the you know, independent video, independent content creator space. Sony was also a big name. There's no way to practically bring in every manufacturer. Like probably would have been cool to have some Panasonic cameras and stuff, maybe even some Fujis or Nikon, but it it just wouldn't have been practical. But knowing that like Sony was sort of the other big name, get some Sony cameras, but this was in 2016 or so. And so we're getting like the A7 starting in 2016 we got the a7 III when that came out have a couple of those bodies and the a7s II. um i don't know when those cameras came out because i actually didn't use them that much because i didn't like them (laughs) Uh, i didn't like i didn't like using them i didn't like the interface i wasn't able to get the shots that i wanted the quality that i wanted uh the a7s II still had like some weird overheating stuff it felt really limited the ergonomics especially on the s2 were just not, it was just not for me. And I would go, I would use those for a bit. And then I would use a Canon camera and feel like, oh, this just feels right. But that was a weird noise. But uh, what I wanted to do was not share my biases with my students. And so, um, you know, every once in a while, I would have students who just got interested in cameras. And what's really cool is for for the most part, high school students in grades nine through 12 don't come in with a bunch of electronic gear biases. A couple of them might, like they might have people they follow who use a certain brand and that's what they think they should use. But for the most part, you know, some kids would start getting interested in cameras. They start reading about it, talking about them. If I gave them, you know, if they checked out for the weekend, a Canon uh, 6D Mark II or something, they would go home and they'd go on YouTube and they'd look up Canon 6D Mark II and they learn about it. And, you know, those kind of students, I definitely had, you know, handfuls of those every year. And what I would do sometimes is they would want to try different cameras. Okay, I tried the 6D last time. What else? Like, let me try a Rebel. Let me try the 5D. Let me, you know, see what all the difference is. Try different lenses. And I would give them Sony cameras too. Like, hey, we have Sony cameras. Uh, The coolest thing about these is they can do 4K um, if you want to play around with 4K. 
and they're, they're good in low light because most of my students, you know, lighting was always a struggle. So having a camera that was really strong in low light was really good. And, you know, someone would take the Sony and it's funny because they'd come back and be like, please give me a Canon camera again. Like, I don't want this. And other students, I would hand a Sony camera to. And then the rest of the time they were in the program, they would never check out a Canon camera because they just gravitated towards it. So, so much of it is just your personal preference, your personal taste, what kind of work you're doing with it. You know, like literally a camera that I was like, oh, I don't like the way this works. I don't like the ergonomics. I don't like the quality I'm getting. I'd hand it to a student. They'd be like, I love this so much more. This is perfect. So it is a very, I, I fully recognize it's a very personal, you know, your camera is like a tool that becomes an extension of your body. It means it's a very personal thing, what works and what doesn't work for you. So don't let my, <laughs> my decisions or my biases, you know, biases, biases, don't let those, you know, affect you too much. But if you want to know why, you know, the guy who had been talking about how great Canon is for so many years is suddenly like, ah, I just use all Sony cameras now. That's why. And I think Canon is, t- is bad at marketing and they make a lot of dumb decisions and they don't really know how to approach their video users. Or it's not that they don't know how to approach their video users, but their admin or their marketing department, somebody in their chain is, you know, trying to push and protect the cinema line which is so stupid because it's not like someone is deciding, I want a full frame video camera. So I'm going to spend three to $4,000. Oh, but it's going to be limited. So I need to spend $10,000. They're not going to make that leap. They're going to say, I'll just go to a different brand. So it's like, you're not protecting your lineup, Canon. You're just pushing people to other brands. That's why I ended up at another brand. I would have loved at the time to have stayed with Canon, but now it's like, I can't, I can't, rely on the company to release things that are actually going to suit my needs as a video first user. So I guess that's what it comes down to there. I think I had other thoughts, but I lost them and they drifted away from my brain right now, but we've gone well over an hour of me rambling about things. Welcome back, because that's what this podcast is. So I mentioned it a few minutes ago. If you have thoughts about this, about anything I talked about today, please feel free to share those thoughts. You can send an email to tom at enthusiasmproject.com. You can do text. You can send a video clip. You can send a voice clip, and I can include it in next week's episode. Um, and and then we're just back at it every week for the next 10 weeks. So it's great to be here again. I hope you enjoyed listening. I thank you. If you know, Thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spending your time with me, your most valuable resource, your time. Um, I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week, and I will see you next time.